Akuriave, this is Selena. Akura de la Hale, this is Carol. Welcome to the Peace Corps Tales podcast. Uh, this is our first episode, and we're super excited to start this journey with everyone. And a little disclaimer, though, before we start. This podcast is not affiliated with the U.S. Peace Corps or government. All thoughts, opinions, and recollections are for the informational purposes only and for, to allow listeners a chance to hear Peace Corps tales from RPCVs. Let's get to the tales. So, hello, my special co-host, Carol. Hi, my lovely Selena. Hi, everybody out there listening to us. Okay, so first we need to t- we need you to tell us a little bit about yourself. So go ahead and tell us your little spiel. Akura de la Hale. Hi everybody. My name is Carol. I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Madagascar in a small town called Kianjavatu. I was a health volunteer, aka a community health advisor. My town had a population of roughly fifteen hundred people, maybe. But my town was like, if you will, like the capital in that municipality. And we had 14 villages connected to this main town. So about all the people, counting all the people within those villages, I think the population was roughly, roughly 10,000 people. Kanjavatu roughly translates to a square town because in Malagasy, a lot of the words have actually meanings. I might say a couple here and there throughout our conversation today. And my town was actually very close to the coast. I was about 90 kilometers from the southeast coast in Madagascar. Nice. Uh, Just one other thing. When did you serve? Uh, I was a volunteer from 2015 to 2018. So I actually lived 39 months in Madagascar, and I extended in my town. So I never got to go anywhere else, but I served the whole time in my town, Kenjavat. Okay, well, thank you for that, Carol. We're really excited to hear your tale, so let's get to it. Uh, first is, why did you join Peace Corps? Okay, so I'm going to try to make the story very short, or as concise as possible. I actually heard about Peace Corps years ago. I was living in Miami, and a friend of a friend was a recruiter. I don't remember the university, but he was a recruiter. So I first heard of it, and I was like, oh my god, that sounds so interesting. However, I couldn't apply because at the time I was not a U.S. citizen. I'm actually Colombian. I was born and raised here. And then I moved to the States and I lived there for many, for many years. So at that time, when I first heard, I only had my green card. So that was not an option for me. So, you know, like I heard of it. I thought it was fantastic, but I just couldn't do it. So I kept on with my life. Years later, um, I actually was living in D.C., Washington, D.C., and I clearly remember I was just strolling down the streets and I passed by Peace Corps headquarters. And I look at the building, I can remember this vividly. I look at the building, I was like, oh my God, I remember you. And at that time I had my job, you know, I was working the regular nine to five. I had a couple of good friends in the city, but I wasn't like very, like I wasn't excited about my life. You know, it was like very monotonous, if you will. I was working as a medical interpreter, so I did have nine to five, but I also had like different timings. But anyways, in general, my life was lacking something. So I decided to go home and start researching for Peace Corps. And I was like, I think this is what I need. I think this is just what is going to add some spice to my life other than going to the hospital and then going to clubs during the weekend to dance away because I do love dancing. So I needed something uh, like a radical change in my life, something that will challenge me as a person and as a professional. 
And what better than getting to go to another country and learning a whole new language and a whole new culture. So I did research Peace Corps. I was like, I think this is what I have to do. And I submitted my application. And I think it took over maybe a little bit over a year for me to get invited. At that time, the process was uh, a little bit different from what I believe the process is now. So I got an email saying that I had been offered five countries where I could potentially be going for my service. And, you know, I am a native a Spanish speaker. So I was like, well, I probably going to go to the like, Dominican Republic or Peru or any other country that is spoke Spanish. And I was in my mind, I was like, well, if I go to South America, then I get to go and see my family in Colombia as much as much as possible. Surprisingly, all my options were in Africa and Asia. And obviously among those was Madagascar. And I remember I had to rank the countries from one to five. So I chose Madagascar as the first one. I can remember exactly why I chose because all the job descriptions were basically the same, but there was something about Madagascar that it was just like, I think I have to go there. And I did get the invitation. On the letter, it said that I was assigned to Madagascar, but it could change at any moment. So I was like, okay, I didn't have any expectations. You know, I was like, I know I'm going to go somewhere in Africa or Asia. I know I'm not going to be speaking in Spanish. So wherever I go, I'd be happy with it. And I'm so thankful that I did get to go to Madagascar. It was, it's been one of the best experiences in my entire life. Yeah, actually, mine's the opposite. So Madagascar was my third choice. <laughs> I was given eight countries, and the same as you, there was two that was in South America, and then the rest were all in uh, the African continent. And I just remember being like, okay, like I chose the two Spanish-speaking ones because I've always wanted to learn Spanish uh, because I am a Mexican heritage, and my family is like several generations been here, so we don't really speak Spanish. Uh, well, my like grandparents and stuff did, but I just wanted to have a chance to finally have the option to try to learn Spanish in a fluent way to force me to do it in a sense. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to choose the two that I was given. And then I looked at the other countries and I'm like, which one would my mom be less stressed about if I chose? And so Madagascar was the one where I'm like, well, you know, it's an island. It's not on the main continent because that's where all the horror stories, quotation marks, are like said to be. And so I was like, I think she would be okay with that. <laughs> so that's why I like chose those. That was like my rationale, which I think is so funny how yours is like something completely different. And like, yeah, I just had this feeling it was for me. <laughs> yeah, actually, I was super excited to tell my mom because she's been my supporter, like my cheerleader 100% my entire life. My dad is way more conservative. So I actually waited like maybe three months before departure to tell my dad that I was about to embark in this new chapter in my life. I did come home for a while to spend a few weeks with them and then I, I, I went to Madagascar. But yeah, his reaction was not, I, it was what I was expected, but he definitely was not happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> so before we go to Peace Corps, we have to plan and pack, or at least some of us plan, but we do have to pack for sure. So what was one item that you were so happy that you packed? Okay, I remember there was a Facebook group and all these people kept posting like the ideal list to go to Peace Corps service, whatever country. And I don't remember if it was a specific mode for Madagascar, 
But I do remember a lot of postings about like, you should pack this, you should pack that. And to me, that was super overwhelming. I was like, I cannot do this. Like, I'm just going to pack whatever I feel I need. But it was funny because I got to Philadelphia for a staging or when we got to see everybody and I see everybody with these big bags. I was like, oh my God, did I pack incorrectly? Like, am I prepared for this two-year adventure? At that time, I didn't know I was going to extend. But anyways, long story short, I was like very worried at some point. I was like, maybe I'm not ready. Like, I didn't bring the right things. However, like scamming through this list, even though it was overwhelming, I didn't really pay attention to any of that. I do remember reading about Luminates. And for those that are not familiar, are these like little blow-up lanterns that have like a little solar panel, so they're obviously easily charged. And I bought a couple of them. I was like, well, this is it. And honestly, that was the best item that I could have bought for Madagascar because I didn't have electricity. So it was my life savior at night, like for reading, whenever I needed to go anywhere at night, it was perfect. Like, And then everybody fell in love with them in my town. So... <laughs> Towards the end, I I don't know who I gave them to, but that's definitely one item that was like, I'm so glad I brought this. Honestly, I do agree with that because I actually got some donated to me so I could help with my project. And I remember I tried one out in my room just to see what it was like. And I loved it because I would just toss it on top of my, my bed net. And then I was like, hey, it's like a little nightlight. I can like read or do something. And then all I have to do is like pop the light and turn it off. Yeah, it was so useful and it was waterproof. So whenever you had it outside and it was charging and it started raining, it didn't matter because nothing could damage it. Unless it popped, obviously it would be the end of it. But I really love that, uh, the Illuminates. That were, they saved my nights in Madagascar. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was unfortunate when they would pop because then, like, I remember I gave some to my, like, moms and then they're like, it's not blowing up anymore. And I was like, you only get one. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) So that was one thing you were very thankful that you did pack. But what was one thing that you wish you had packed? When we were coming up with this idea for this podcast and I look at this question, I was like, hmm, what was that one item? And at the beginning, I thought my idea was like, maybe I should have brought like a bigger hard drive for like, you know, media, whatever that I could be entertained at sight. But since I had some time to actually think more about this question, I really wish I had brought more pictures of my family and my hometown so they could actually see where I'm from and like what my family looks like. Cause I did bring a lot of pictures. I brought a lot of pictures, but mostly they were like from different trips that I've done, I've done throughout my life. So most of the pictures were like either by myself or like different landscapes or like different cities or whatever, but it didn't really capture who my family was. And I, I remember when I was about to leave my side, people kept asking me, oh, can we have a picture? you know, of your family, because they, they really want to have that memory because family is so important in Madagascar. I did give out like the few ones that I had, but honestly, thinking back, I wish I had bought, brought more so I could have brought like share more of those of those memories with the people that um, became so close to me. So yeah, I wish I had brought more pictures of my family. Well, Carol, you could have printed them out. <laughs> I think I had them saved anywhere with me because I had brought like a hard, a brand new hard drive. My idea was like, I'm going to start storing, you know, like 
pictures and videos of my service, but I don't think I had any with me at that moment. And like, I don't know, like I didn't think about it, like asking my sisters, because I have been like a little bit of a nomad. So I had a lot of things at my parents' house, at my sister's house back in Philadelphia. So it was really hard for me to be like, hey, can you go and dig through this box and hoping to find a USB that had pictures? It was really difficult. So it just, I don't know, it didn't work that way. Okay, that makes sense. I guess I'll give you the benefit of the doubt for this one. <laughs> so now switching gears a little bit, uh, what was your best memory or highlight from pre-service training? So for our listeners, when you first get to your host country, you have to do anywhere from two and a half months to three months of training. And this is before you actually are sworn in as a volunteer. Uh, you are doing intense language training, intense technical training, uh, so this is called pre-service training because you're not a volunteer yet, but you're almost there. And honestly, it's almost like the first time that you get a bond with people that are in, for us, it was called stage. Otherwise, it could be considered a cohort. So yeah, Carol, what was your like highlight? Selena's going to be like, oh, you're bragging. <laughs> but um, so when I first got to Madagascar, I I just immediately fell in love with the country and I knew communication was going to be very important if you really if I really wanted to have like a strong bonds with people and like try to do a good job so I re- from the beginning I tried really really hard to work on my language skills I really wanted to be fluent I really want to be able to communicate so with my uh, my host mom, my nanny, she was fantastic. She had volunteers before, so she had a lot of practice per se, hosting a volunteer. So she was so helpful, like teaching me words every day, like me pointing and like kind of testing. Like she would point something and I would have to guess what that word was. So I really uh, worked hard on the language. So I was lucky enough that I was chosen to do the speech as a thank you ceremony. I don't know if all the countries do this, but in Madagascar... All the families that were hosts during this training um, are invited to the Peace Corps training campus or the facility for a thank you. And we have like a big dinner, kind of like a party. So I don't remember how many people were there, but it was all the host families, all the trainees at the moment, all the Peace Corps staff. And I remember, I don't know for how long, but I wrote the, the speech and then the language trainers helped me translate it. And I read it every day. I really wanted to read it well. I didn't want it to sound too Spanish or Latina when I was reading it. And I tried and I tried and I tried. But (laughs) when the day finally came, I was so nervous. Like my throat was so dry. And I remember standing in front of all these people. And I was like, oh, my God. And I'm pretty sure I sound very Latina. I don't know. Like I can, I obviously I cannot listen to myself, but I was very proud of that moment. And then towards like at the end of the speech, and then we got we when we got a little bit more relaxed with the ceremony. Uh, my nanny was so happy and she was so proud. I actually found a picture and she had like the biggest smile. And I was like, okay, I I did it. Like I mean, it was just the beginning of this journey of Peace Corps, but definitely that was the highlight of my PSC. Yes, Carol, though it is a bragging moment, I am very proud of you. I remember I was slightly jealous, I will say, because I was nowhere near that comfortable with the language, but I did remember how hard you studied and how you were trying to do it and just thinking how cool it was to see one of my own stage mates. Because 
I don't even think we were close at that moment. I think we knew each other, but we weren't friends really. And so I just remember thinking how cool it was that one of us was able to have the confidence to not only go in front of everyone and speak Malagasy, but be able to do so in a way that it sounded to me really good. And so I don't think he sounded Spanish, but again, I'm not a native, I'm not a national person there that speaks Malagasy fluently. <laughs> so at the time for me, it sounded awesome. <laughs> Okay, so a little bit about the living conditions, which will help clarify for those other RPCVs who are listening to understand why Carol had to do this whole speech to begin with. So what was the living conditions like throughout pre-service training? Okay, so I remember we landed in the capital, Antananarivo. They drove us to this facility. Uh, it's in a smaller town called Mantasua. And I think it's about two hours from the capital. And there, uh, Peace Corps has this huge training facility. And I can't recall clearly if it was one or two nights, but we we stayed there for like either one or two. And throughout those two days, we had intense Malagasy lessons, you know, to like be able to sort of communicate something to our host families. Because after the second day or third day, whichever, uh, they came to the training facility and they picked us up. So we had all, all of our luggage and we were sent off to stay with these host families for the following, I believe, six weeks. So we will have trainings every day, but we will have like all the meals with our host families. We will stay, you know, like overnight. The weekends was the only time that we had a little bit more free time. So we had training until noon on Saturdays and then we have sort of free time. So we could like either meet up with our volunteers afterwards, or we could go and visit our host families. And then Sunday was completely off. But then after the sixth week, we will, we went back to the training facility to complete our training right before we uh, we were scheduled to sworn off, like to you know like to become actually a Peace Corps volunteer. So we spent all this time with our host families. So in Madagascar, community is very important and families. So the staff, they really wanna show the appreciation of like letting all these vaza, that's how they call us in Malagasy, to the foreigners. Uh, they really wanna show the appreciation of like them taking the time and the resources to take us in. So it's like a, a sort of a big deal in the, in the town. And Peace Corps, Peace Corps has been in Madagascar for a long time. And the, the town has been familiar with Peace Corps for many, many years, because I believe the training facility has always been there. So they've seen, you know, waves, volunteers over and over and over again. So it's very important. It's very part of the community. So it's very important that they show appreciation and a thank you. Yeah, I will say that we are put in a little bubble there, because then as soon as you leave it, you don't realize just how different everything is because you've been there for like two and a half months and then going to this point though so how is your transition from pre-service to actual site for you <laughs> oh my god what a roller coaster of emotions and like feelings and like fear and terror and happiness so i remember uh, you know officially we finished training uh we packed our bags and then we went to the capital city and then from there, we were partnered with the closest volunteer uh, geographically. So we either, it would be either like two or three or even four people per car, like a, in a Peace Corps car. 
and they will be like okay so you guys are the closest ones in uh, in the region so you are going together and that's how you start the journey so i remember i was with max who actually became my best friend during service because he was literally the closest person i could see and brie she was fantastic too but she was a little bit further south from my side whoa 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 best friend i thought i was your best friend carol okay <laughs> Okay, thank you for, I was going to clarify it, but you jumped the gun. <laughs> Max was the closest person geographically, so we did get to hang out a lot and we got to experience a lot of things. So in that sense, he was my best friend because I saw him quite a lot. However, Selena is my best friend because even though we didn't see each other that often, we were each other's support. So we constantly texted. I don't even, like you mentioned before during PST, we weren't really that close. So I don't remember when was that time we were like, we, like our friendship got this strong. I think it was actually during PST. No, 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 not PST. I'm sorry. It was during IST, which is like the next conference for all those listening of training that you have to do in Peace Corps. It's pretty much like after three months at site, you then go back to the headquarters to then get trained a little bit more for, I believe, a two-week time stint. But I think that's when we, because we started playing cards. Like, I think it was either Carol or Pommy that like introduced us. And you're like, let's play Trios y Escaletas. And then yeah, I'm down to play cards. Like, I'm all about playing games. And through that, like our click kind of formed and I think that's where we kind of just were like yeah we all like each other like let's hang out and then you and I bonded even more because I don't know we just clicked really well <laughs> and for all your listeners I just wanted to clarify that because she is my person and best friend and no one else can take that title <laughs> <laughs> yeah is that is that is that like, like is different emotions you know I really love Max and he was great and we got to experience so many wild stories but Selena was like a different kind of friend she was my, not that Max wasn't my support it's just different it's different it's hard to compare the two relationships but yeah Selena is definitely my bestie um but going going back to the transition so we hop in the car before that we had we went to this big store in the capital city to try to buy the things that we needed so I just went into that store. I was like, this is too much. And I just left. I don't think I bought anything. And then, so we drove to our banking town, which is actually on the coast. And it's called Mananzari. We drove with, obviously, a Peace Corps driver and one staff member. And then in Mananzari, we met up with Asuki. Asuki is like, a, in my, I guess it's just any person that is older, either in rank or in age. So she was our Suki because she had been there already a year by the time we got to town. And she was there trying to help us. But it was really hard because, like, I never seen my house before that. I knew I was a replacement. So they are supposed to give us, like, this black book to let us know the description of the house, what items you can find. But even so, it was really hard because I knew I had a bed, so I didn't have to worry about that. I knew I had I had a stove and a table. But other than that, I really didn't know the condition of my house. I didn't know what to buy. So it was really tricky. And our Suki, Heather, she was she couldn't really tell us either because she hadn't seen our houses either. So she was more of like a guidance of like, maybe this could help you if you are into like if you are into cooking. So you need to buy certain things. Uh, but it was really difficult. I remember being so like confused and not knowing what to buy. 
and then we spent one night in, in Mananzari and then the next morning I think Max was getting installed or we bought some furniture for him long story short we go to his side which is very remote very rural there is no buses that go there no cars um basically he had to bike all the time so it was like this big event that this big pickup truck uh, actually a four by four was driving to this village because it was very small so in the middle of the town there is this four by four with these foreigners and everybody's like they knew they were uh, that max was coming but obviously one thing is to to be said and another thing to actually witness it and women were like dancing and singing and it was this huge celebration and everybody was speaking Malagasy but it was a, like a different dialect so it was really different from what we have heard in Mantasua the tone the speed the wording it was completely different we felt like we didn't learn anything because Max was really really good at, at the language too by the time we got to town uh, and it was overwhelming and then we went back to Mananzari, I spent one more night and finally it was my time to be installed. And all I remember was uh, Peace Corps staff, they helped carry my couple bags, my trunk, my bike. They set up the bed net because they need to make sure the bed net is hanged before they leave town. And like all the doors and windows, they are locked, they are secure. We did like visits that must be conducted before they leave side. So we, sit, we visited the mayor, my doctor who was going to be my supervisor, and a couple more people in town. And then it was like a checklist, you know, like items on downloaded, like, you know, like put in the house, checked, bed net hang, check, visits, check. Okay, Carol, you're on your own. And I so remember, like I remember to this day, everybody getting back in the car because Brie was the last person to be installed. She, she got back in the car. She, I think we hugged, we took a picture, and then they, they took off. And I was like, oh, my God, now I'm here. <laughs> this is my town. This is what my life is going to look like. I wasn't terrified. I was just, it was the mess of not knowing what was going to happen. You know, I was like, and again, like, I did try my best to learn a lot of Malagasy before getting to town, but it doesn't compare to the reality um mainly because on my side because it's more coastal uh they spoke so very fast even the greeting was different they have five ways to say yes the intonation is very loud so at the beginning i thought people were like fighting or screaming <laughs> it's just how they are and actually it worked out perfectly for me because i'm super loud as a latina i'm very very loud and i speak a lot <laughs> Uh, but it was very fine. And then to top it off, um, this older man comes to my house and he's like, from now on, you're going to be my daughter. And he said this in English. So he actually became my dad, my host dad, who I love with all my heart, Yabeni Fabi. And he's familiar with Peace Corps because I believe I was like either the third or fourth volunteer in town. And so he was very close with all of them because obviously he wanted to practice his English. Um, but I was shocked. I was in the middle of town, like in the middle of nowhere in Madagascar, right? I'd been just dropped off by the Peace Corps staff. And this guy randomly comes to my door and starts speaking English to me. I was like, I couldn't comprehend. It took me like a, a, a couple of seconds to be like, what is happening? Or I remember was like, okay, I guess I'm going to be your like adopted daughter. And then from there is history, like... He and his family became my family. 
and to this day I don't love them dearly and I, I hope I can go and visit sometime soon but yeah that's kind of like how the whole transition went from little bubble man to sue uh, to what my life was going to be in Kenjabatu. I will say your town was a little bit more, I feel like developed feel because you were on a main road. So it wasn't like a main road going in the middle of your town. And then you had an NGO there as well, right? Well, yeah and no, there is a environmental agent NGO, but it's in a smaller village. It's about like five or seven kilometers from my side. And they do get volunteers from abroad, like usually see people, but they don't really come to my site other than on market days. So, and they are different because they work mainly in the forest. So they build a strong relationship with the workers at the NGO, but they really don't get to know the people in my town. I guess you could say it was a little bit more developed. Yes, it was on the main highway going to the coast, but it's still, you know, like all the houses were made of kind of wood uh, a few ones were made of cement and, and bricks um but the, we had a lot of traffic and it was well known. actually we had a lot of famous artists coming to town to do concerts so I got to see a lot of famous Malagasy people on my side it was that was really fun I got to dance a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah see I, that never happened at mine <laughs> but that's really cool so to go on to see different versions of your service, can you please tell us three highlights that happened, whether it's accomplishments or just an everyday event? What was some highlights? Okay, I actually had to think really hard about this one because it's, it's hard to pinpoint highlights of three years of your life. I think the first one, it definitely has to be Women's Day. Uh, before going to Madagascar, I never really, I don't want to say I didn't, I didn't care about Women's Day, but it wasn't a big deal. You know, I really don't like those holidays that just became a market day of like, you buy this because it's a Valentine's Day, you buy this because it's Mother's Day, you know? So to me, Women's Day, it was just one more holiday where people just go out and spend money. Uh, but being in Madagascar, it just gave me this whole different perspective because their gender roles in Madagascar are very marked. So this is what women do and this is what men do. And the women that day, Women's Day, was is that one single day out of 365 days of the year that women don't have to worry about cooking or cleaning or taking care of the kids, waking up at four, you know going to the field i'm not saying all of women but a a good deal like a good percentage of women at least on my side they do get to celebrate that day so it's a huge celebration it's huge we do parades we do choreographies there's visitors from like different ngos so it's a full day of activities and the first year it was funny because uh, again my dad he was like very you have to do the speech for women's day i was like well, at that point, my Malagasy was getting better, but no, not a point where I could just stand in front of like 100 women to deliver a, a speech or a kabari, how special and important it is to be a woman. And he's like, well, this is not an option. I'm not asking you if you want to do it. I'm telling you, you have to do it. So again, <laughs> I have to prepare. He helped me grow the speech. 
and again I practice and I practice and I practice and the day that I had to deliver I think I have a video where my hands are shaking like a leaf and all you could hear is like my <laughs> sheet of paper like just <laughs> trembling oh my god it was so nerve-wracking I remember that day but then we got to dance and I was part of like the um, women's association. So my best friend and I uh, came out with the choreography. So it was super fun. After being like super nervous about the, sp the speech, I got to uh, dance. So that was awesome. And the following year, it rained so hard. Like it was pouring down. We usually do the celebration in the soccer field because it's this beautiful green area. But it rained so hard that it flooded and it was muddy. And I thought for a second that they were going to cancel the day. I was like, well, there is no way we're going to do this. But again, it's such an important day for women that they didn't care. Everybody was ready to go. We parade. We dance. Everybody did their kabaris, their speeches. And it was like the rain didn't exist. And it just reassured me how important that day was for all women. And then the third year, it was very, very emotional because obviously it was going to be my last day, my, my last celebration with them. And again, you know, getting ready, picking out the outfits because each association has like a different outfit and getting my hair done. And it was just like this beautiful day, this beautiful moment of celebrating to be woman. I never, I never understood how important it was until I got there. And now I'm very appreciative. And those three days, those three celebrations will be with me forever. Yeah, I just want to say I completely agree. And I remember my first Women's Day being back in the States and just how nothing was said about it. Yeah. I think there was maybe like some event that was happening at my college because I was in grad school. But I just remember how no one really cared. It wasn't celebrated at all. And just... The shock of being like, come on, guys, it's Women's Day. Like, let's go do something. Like, let's have a parade or something. Like, that's what literally so many other countries do. And yet, being home in the States, I can only atone for, like, Southern California. I can't say for other parts of the USA. But I just remember having that kind of cultural shock again, reverse, where I'm just like, oh, yeah, it's just another day in March. It doesn't mean anything, <laughs> but I do appreciate hearing your story about how much it impacted you, just experiencing that from a Malagasy side. Yeah, actually, uh, the first Women's Day here in Colombia um, is starting to become a thing here as well. I didn't know it was, or maybe I never noticed it, but last year with my sisters, we went to this, it wasn't a parade as big because it's, it's different and I live in Bogota, so it's, everything is very, very different. But Women's Day is starting to become a thing where we actually celebrate women's rights and like fighting for equally um, equality. So it was really nice. And I, I owe so much to Madagascar that opened my eyes to even the reality of my own country. So I will always be grateful for that as well. Going back to the original question, I think the second highlight will definitely be my accomplishment professionally. On my side, there are very good basketball, play basketball players. However, the core that they had, if you could call it a court, it was just this patch of like dust. And, and if it was rainy, it was just muddy. And the basketball board, just, it was just two pieces of wood put together about to fall apart. 
So uh, after like, you know, assessing the community and asking people around to see if it was something that they would be interested, it became a project. And it was a long project. It took me quite a while to to put it together uh, from submitting the grant or the, doc the documents to Peace Corps for them to approve and then fundraise because I, I wasn't going to get a grant per se. So I had to fundraise all the money and getting all the stakeholders together and everybody agreeing and then hiring the person to to do this um it was a long process but after months and months of hard work the inauguration was such a awesome moment and it was even more awesome because my family was there so my mom and two of my sisters were there for that moment and they were a huge part of it like they were so supportive they they helped me so much uh with the fundraising one of my sisters is a designer and my brother-in-law is a designer as well so they came out with this beautiful calendar that was sold in order to get funds so they were just such a big part you know like after all this work that i put in and seeing all the people in town at the basketball court uh, we actually invited uh, the basketball team from a nearby town and senabulu so we had even we didn't have a playoff and we had enough money to buy um the uniform so we have one for the female team and another one for the male team and we also had like a little bit more money to create a library so just seeing all these things coming to reality it was fantastic i think it was one of the best moments in my life so i think that's why it's my second highlight and then the third one uh, it had to be my work with my girls, so I think it was somewhere around my second year when I decided that I wanted to work with girls. So I created a small group called Tikambanana to Bavi Mizuru. <laughs> which roughly translates to stand-up girls. And it was a group of 15 girls, ages 13 to 15. And we worked for a year, a year and a half. Every weekend we would meet up, Saturday and Sunday. And then when they didn't have class, they were on vacation, we, we would meet um, a few days throughout the week. And we talk about, about different topics. I don't know, it's hard to put in words because, you know, like I had all this knowledge and I, I wanted to show them so many skills. But I think at the end, I learned way more from them than the knowledge I was able to give them. Uh, they actually show me what it is that I want to do for the rest of my life, which is youth development. Working with them, it just, when you give them something, like either a knowledge or a skill, they just flourish. And just seeing that in such a short period of time, it really showed me that's what I want to do. Because I do have my master's in public health and working in that field is really gratif gratifying too. Like you do get to do a lot of good work for communities, but youth development is just like that extra layer of adventure and challenges and awesome outcomes. And obviously like tears and gray hairs that come <laughs> with working with young, young people. But I don't know, they really showed me the light of what it is that I want to do with the rest of my life. So I'm very appreciative. I really love them to this day. I remember them every day and I hope I get to see them at some point in my life. But yeah, I think those are the three highlights of my service. I mean, I had way more and I could talk forever, but those are definitely very, very important from my service.
Hi everyone, we're going to take a quick break to do a shout out to Musco. Musco is a creative house specialized in branding, design, and art direction. So we're doing this shout out because he helped us make our Peace Corps Tales logo and also our podcast graphic image for the podcast. Musco works with communities and individuals who want to make the world a better place through awareness, education, and social change. So we are very thankful for Musco and everything that he's done for our podcast. He really took our ideas and made it into something fantastic. We literally just told him a few things and he was able to create the graphic designs that we really wanted without <laughs> being too much guidance for him. So he is a great graphic designer. So if you want anything done like flyers, posters, uh, logos, images, please find Musco at www.musco.house. That is www.musco.house. And Musco's motto is, the doors are open, the ideas are inside. Now back to the show. Yeah, we'll definitely wait to see if we could do some bonus episodes here and there to kind of show not only the good moments that we have, but also maybe some of the terrifying or just like we are being rebels here and there and doing things off radar is what it's called when you don't do it with Peace Corps permission. So we'll go into those kind of stories probably in some bonus episodes. But to go on with that flow, uh, what was your top WTF moment? Uh, this could either be terrifying, hilarious, um, just anything where you're just like, WTF, what just happened? <laughs> I definitely have two. Well, I have a lot of them, but I have two, and both of them involve Max. Again, because we were the closest, so we did experience a lot of crazy things together. The first one had to be a uh, disclaimer. I had a boyfriend in country. He was a Malagasy person. So, uh, <laughs> so we were going to visit this small town to celebrate his grandmother's funerals anniversary. So in Madagascar, death is not this awful thing. It's just a part of your life. So it's a celebration. So the grandma had passed a wee years ago, but they were, they had built uh, this beautiful tombstone or like a memory stone, I guess in this town. So they were going to celebrate that that was going to be on reveal for the whole town. And I had a boyfriend, so everybody knew about the Valsar again, the foreigns. They are like, oh my God, the Valsar are coming. Because uh, they heard about about us. So people were like, oh my God, the Valsar, the Valsar, whatever. So we got there and it, we got there super late because getting public, into public transportation can be tricky at, at some points. So we got there a little bit late. Um, everybody's like, oh my God, the Vasa, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, uh, we didn't have really a space to sleep at that town. And we didn't want to stay there because we knew there was going to be a lot of drinking. Um, we were going to be uncomfortable at some point. So we are like, okay, we have to go to our banking town because we were only like 45 minutes away from Mananzari. But there was no more tra public transportation because public transportation pretty much stops around 4.30 or so. So we're like, okay, how are we going to do this? So miraculously, somebody said, a police pickup truck is outside. Whoever wants to get to Mananjari needs to get in that truck or like a pickup truck. Max and I just look at each other and we're like, we got to get into that car. So as we sprint to the car, we hop into the bed of the pickup truck. Somehow we made it because there were so many people. I swear to God, I think at least 20 people hop in that car and like we're squeezing like 
in the middle of the truck. And then this lady who also wanted to go to Manajari, she didn't have, she couldn't make it inside the truck. So she was holding from basically like the bumper and she just gave me her hand and she's like, please hold me, like hold my hand because if you let go, I'll probably die. And that was like the most stressful 45 minutes of my life where I'm holding this lady's hand not to let go because clearly if I let go her hand, she will fall off the truck and probably die. So it was very stressful. Mind you, next to me was Max and this lady was kind of harassing Max. Because like foreigns, especially where we are, like sometimes they do see foreigns, but mostly French and French people don't really do the things that we do as, as Peace Corps volunteers. We are like intriguing. So this lady was like, okay, this is a white guy in this truck in the middle of like going to Mananzari. And Max is handsome. So he was a handsome man. So she was like touching his knee and like, I don't know if she was saying something, but just the whole situation was just like a WTF moment. We were like what is happening and then we get to Mananjari and get off the, the truck and we we just couldn't believe what what had just happened the last 45 minutes it was very funny and then the second moment again um, I'm with Max we were going to take this vacation right before he was leaving his service because he didn't extend so we were on our way to this famous beach it's called Mahambu so we are in this uh, taxi bruise of the public transportation is these little vans and it's so hot like it was so hot I don't know maybe 110 degrees or whatever and we're squeezed in this little tiny taxi bruise right next to me is this guy with like five boxes of chickens and they're going pew 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 and there is like, I don't know, maybe 25 people inside the taxi bruise. Naturally. And the driver just decided to stop on the side of the road to wait for more people. So we are the first, we're dying of heat. Finally, he decides, okay, it's time to go because he's on his time, not on everybody's time. So he's like, okay, we're going to our destination. And as we're driving, all of a sudden he stops again. <laughs> but there is nothing. There is no town, no nothing. Not even like a little stove to get like a coffee. And we are like, oh my God, what happened? So unfortunately, people don't really, they are either they're really cheap or don't care about maintaining their cars or like the public transportation cars. So the tire of this particular bus is like falling apart. So the first layer of the tire came off. And so we waited there. Oh, mind you, he didn't turn off the car. So we're there just on the side of the road. Everybody's inside. He's not saying anything. So finally, somebody's like, well, it's too hot in here. Let's get out. So finally, we get out of the bus and we saw this. We're like, oh my God, what, what are we going to do? So the driver tried to stop like five different buses that were passing by to see if they will um, lend him a spare tire. And none of them have a spare tire. His logic is like, okay, get everybody back in the bus. We will just drive to the next town and we we will change the tire. And mind you, this road is full of potholes, like really big ones. So we are like, okay, this is how we're gonna die. <laughs> That's what we, Max and I, were thinking, yep, this is the end. Cause this tire could have popped at any given moment. Like the smallest stone, like rock, or the smallest pothole, it could have just burst that tire. And who knows what else could have happened. Thankfully, that didn't happen. <laughs> I'm still alive. Uh, we made it to the next town. So we're looking for a place where they can replace the tire. 
And it was just, again, on the side of the road, this guy is like, yeah, 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 sure, I can change the tire. Again, it's like 25 passengers. None of us get out of the car. Everybody's still inside the car as they are changing the tire. As the guy is uh, complaining that the car is too heavy. And we're like, what? And then at some point, that lady in the front was so fed up with the whole situation that she started like complaining about what is happening. And somehow a little fight broke out. Like they are punching each other, like this lady with this other guy. And then we were traveling with another volunteer and this, this other volunteer had to stop the guy. It was just madness. I swear to God, this was madness. So that's definitely a WTF moment in my life where I was like, what the F is going on? Yep, that that's life in, in, in Peace Corps. But hey, don't get discouraged if you're thinking about doing Peace Corps. Even the most terrifying stories that you may hear, um, they just become like a hilarious moment in your life, so. Yeah, oh my God. Brucine in general, so taking the bus throughout Madagascar is called brucine or bruces. And I just remember like, there's just so many things that happen where you're just like, you don't understand the common sense levels. Whereas the people like, they don't have it, it seems at times. Where you're just like, okay, clearly we need to do something like get out of the car in an instance of your story. And they're just like, nah, I'm just going to stay here sweating really bad and being close to everyone because, I mean, it's not like they're going to lose their seat. Like, I really don't know the rationale. Like, I was always so confused when there's instances yeah. like that where people would just literally stay in the bus and they're just like complaining. I'm like, okay, then get out. Like, we're clearly not leaving anytime soon. Like, get out. Let me get out. Like, help me out. <laughs> oh god yeah what was your top omg moment and this is usually to refer of like you're reminiscing of saying like omg this is exactly why i chose to do peace corps again it's so hard to choose either two top moments because just life during service is just full of like huge moments or the small moments that but i definitely chose uh, my family's visit so i was lucky enough that my mom uh, my three sisters and my brother-in-law came to visit unfortunately my dad couldn't make it it was a perfect combination of having my family who i love deeply meeting this new world that i had entered the two and a half years prior and it was just like this magic moment of like them understanding my reality of life, them meeting the people that had become my new family in town, for them to understand just what my regular life was like, going to the market, being in town. My sister said that, one of my sisters said that I looked like a Disney character going down, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> down the street and just saying, like waving at people and like being all popular, like, hey, Carol, hi, hi. <laughs> but overall, I have a lot of people that knew who I was. So to them, it's so weird that Carol was kind of sort of famous in my town. <laughs> For example, I would go to the market and I would say hi to 20 different people. To me, that was just life. To them, was like, do you have to stop again to say hi to one more person? And like I mentioned before, they came to the inauguration of my project. And that was just so amazing. And I had a baby in town. Uh, her name is Mianza. And she's this beautiful, sweet little baby who I got to love with all my heart. 
whenever I had like other volunteers come by to visit and she was around, she would get a little bit scared because she wasn't used to like like skin people. But then my mom came and she just like clung to my mom. Like my mom was like hugging her and carrying her. And I couldn't understand. Like, I don't know if she felt the connection that was, she was my mom. But that was like a magic moment to me as well. And so we got to do a lot of traveling uh, in the island. They came to my side. Well, two of my sisters and my mom. And then we got to see like the capital, a couple more cities. And then we finally made our way to see the Baobabs for that last of the trip. My other sister and her husband joined us. And I remember this because I was at the airport uh, waiting for them to arrive. And I had a little bit of the uh, an issue with the car that I had um, hired to be our transportation because it was easier to have private transportation. My mom tried to taxi Bruce for half of the trip. And it got to the point she's like, Carol, I don't know, I don't care how much it costs, but find us a private car. She couldn't take the music inside the taxi room. She's like, no, I cannot do this anymore. So I had to find a car. Anyways, going back to the um to what I was gonna say. I was at the airport, I was on the phone because I was having some issues with the car that I had hired. So I was trying to get another one. And I'm like on the phone speaking Malagasy. And I turn around and my sister and her husband are right next to me. Like they were behind me. And I just look around and my, my sister Joe was like down to, almost to the floor if that is possible. And she just looked at me with these big eyes. And I was like, what? What did I do? And she's like, you speak Malagasy like that? And I, I'm not trying to brag again, but I did get very comfortable with, with the language. And I was like speaking 100,000 words per second because I was so upset trying to fix this issue. And all my sister could say was like, you speak Monagasy like that. And to me, it clicked, right? Because my my daily life was just speaking Monagasy to different people. So to me, it wasn't such a weird thing. But to her, it, she just couldn't comprehend that in two years I've got to that level and that I was so comfortable navigating the system and, you know, getting to pick that, getting to talk to people. And that moment I was like, damn, I felt like kind of powerful to some degree. I don't know. It was so cool that, that I got to, to that level. And then obviously throughout the trip, I was the interpreter. I was the tour guide and just showing them that I was really comfortable with the culture and everything. That's definitely one of the top moments. And I, I think also is because I, I got to learn to love so much the Malagasy culture that uh, I do see Madagascar as my second home after Colombia. So being able to like unite those two worlds of like my Colombian family being in Madagascar, which is my second home now, I don't know, it was just magic. So I think that's my, that's definitely one of my top uh, OMG moments. For a little clarification, back in the middle, you said you had a baby and we all know you had a boyfriend. So we need a little clarification. Was this <laughs> your personal baby or someone else's baby? <laughs> Oh my god, I didn't I didn't think about that. Like, you know, because I call her my baby all the time. No, I didn't know. I was not pregnant. I didn't uh gave birth to a child in Madagascar. He was actually my best friend's child. So when I first got to side, one of my closest neighbors, she just she's um she has like a little 
coffee place. So every morning I will just go to her and buy my coffee for my breakfast. And you know, it's one of those relationships that you don't know are gonna be are gonna become such an important part of your life. But this lady, she just became one of my best friends. Um, so when I got there, she was pregnant, and then uh, you know I got to see the evolution of her belly. Then she gave birth. I didn't see her giving birth per se. I a lot of volunteers do that, but I, that was not me. <laughs> you know, like she was pregnant. Then I got I got to see her baby. Um, I'm not a, a baby person per se. I'm not like I do get along with kids, but it, it's not like my favorite thing to do. I do prefer I do love working with youth, but little children I'm not a big fan of them. But for some reason, I just fell in love with this baby. Her name is Mianza, and so I was part of her life, or actually she was part of my life for two and a half years, and that's why I call her my baby. And everybody in town knew that was Mianja's second mom. Like, we will go down the street and they're like, oh, Carol is going with her baby. And towards the end of my service, she was already starting, like, preschool. So sometimes I will go with her mom to pick her up. Or if she mom couldn't take her, I will take her. Or, like, if, for example, Mianja's mom had to go somewhere, I will just take care of her little business. And Mianja also got used to coming to my house, so she will, like, knock on my door, run into my house and storm and like play with absolutely everything because she knew where I had the toys. It was, I love that baby. Oh my God. So yeah, that's my baby. Again, I was not pregnant. Uh, <laughs> it was just my best friend's baby. Uh, to kind of switch gears, I wanted to ask, what was your favorite food dish from your host country? And did you learn to cook and make it? And do you still make it? Malagasy food is tasty, but it's not flavorful. Even though they have a lot of spices, unfortunately, they are used for export and they don't really use it for cooking on the daily basis. So it's not like Mexican food or Italian food or whatever, like, you know, it's more bland. And rice is life. So Malagasy people eat rice three times a day. I only ate it for lunch and once in a while for dinner. Uh, but my favorite, favorite dish is something very simple called uh, traca and you eat it with rice so traca basically is just green leaves there is not like an actual equivalent in the state so it's really hard to like describe what it was because it's not really roman lettuce it's not really bok choy it's not really spinach it's just some random green leaves but how you cook it is you boil it and then you make this uh, simple sauce with some onions tomatoes uh, oil a little bit of garlic and salt and so you make the sauce and then you add that sauce on top of the traca. And you can make it a little bit drier where you just drain all the water. And you can make it a little bit more like watery. And then you just add everything. And then you put it on top of the rice. And it may sound, I don't know if it doesn't sound too appealing or if it does sound appealing. But to me, that dish was so, so good. And... My ex-boyfriend was an expert making this dish for me. I don't know why. Obviously, maybe because he's Malagasy, so he has the seasoning in him. But his dish, oh my God, I love every time he made that for me whenever he came to visit. And he will have that for me. That was fantastic. And then there is this other dish. It's more, more than a dish. It's like a way of cooking. So we call it shambaika. So basically, you can take any kind of fruit and you boil it. And then you add the same sauce that I just described. So there is shambaika, akundru, which is um, like the 
bananas or jackfruit or breadfruit. So my favorite one is jack, jackfruit and breadfruit, uh, ampali bay and frampai. Those were like the best ones. And I do eat a lot of bread because bread is very popular here in Colombia as well. So I ate a lot of bread. Unfortunately, I don't make it. I cannot make any of those dishes here because it's really hard to come by. Like again, the green leaves, I don't know the equivalent. There is Ampali Bay here, but it's close to the coast. Uh, so I cannot find it here in the capital city. I did learn, I did make it when I was still in country. I cook a lot of traca because it was like the easiest dish to, to make. So whenever I was too tired to make uh, a more intricate meal, traca was the way to go. You know what? I wonder, I wonder if Gabby's husband would know an equivalent in the United States. I'm really curious to see if he has found anything because, I mean, her husband was a Malagasy national and then he came here to the U.S. And I'm just curious to know if he's ever tried to look for it or not. So I'm going to ask her, actually. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and let me know what you find out. <laughs> So you didn't make the dishes and we can't make it, unfortunately, in the States or in Colombia. So to show a different kind of perspective of everyday chores and everything, because they are different in our current place of living, we either have like a washer machine or we have a shower, we have plumbing, we have all these like different resources that we could use. But what was one chore that you had either fun completing or thought was really hard once you went to Madagascar? Uh, yeah, I definitely had to develop so many new skills to do all these chores back in Madagascar, uh, from learning how to make peanut butter uh, to washing my own clothes. But the top one definitely is cleaning the rice. And by that, I mean, like I said before, rice is extremely important in the Madagascar diet. But it's not like when you go to the store either in the States or in Colombia, that you go to the store and you buy the rice that is already packaged. Even though you can find sort that kind of rice in Madagascar, is very, very expensive. So I never did it. So basically, they just sell rice from goonies, from goonie bags. And then you go with your little basket. And we use a measurement called kapoka. So basically, it's almost like the size of a kind of beans that you will find in, in a store in the States, basically. And so we use that as a measuring cup. And then we buy, you buy whatever amount of kapokas that you need. But because the rice is not prepackaged, um, you tend to find a lot of rocks that have been involved in the process as they are picking up the, the rice from the fields. And also the little covering of the rice itself. I don't know if you call it husks, but you have to clean it before you cook it. Otherwise, you are risking yourself of losing a tooth or chipping a tooth, biting on a rock. So basically, we use this little rounded woven item, which we call sahafa, and then you just place the rice on top of that, and then you, you just start like sh shaking it. And you start picking up the rocks and the husks, and then you blow it, and then you like toss it again and to me that was like super relaxing I, I don't I don't know why it's really hard for me to describe why but it was just that one thing that I was like okay it's time to make lunch I'm just gonna get my rice on my sahafa and I'm just gonna go to my little patio area and I'm gonna clean my rice and I'm gonna cook it 
and it just became part of my daily chores. And honestly, that's one of the things that I enjoyed the most. And and also because I think it was a bonding mom, moment with my host mom. Not my host mom because I didn't live with them, but it was more like an adoptive mom. Because she was very adamant of like, you have to learn to do this well, unless you're going to have rocks in your rice. So it was just not, you know, I think that also had to do with it, that it was this connection and then... I, it just became part of my daily life. So, yeah, I really love doing that. Yeah, I definitely agree. I remember when I would do it every here and there, it was a lot of fun. It was kind of like a game where you would, like, toss it and you're just like, <laughs> let's see how much of the, like, flyaway husk pieces I can get rid of before having to, like, hand pick them out. And it was so much fun. But I also remember... That going to little hotelies, which are like restaurants on the side of the road, they would do such an awful job. Like, <laughs> I feel like I've never eaten so slow in my life like I have in Madagascar. Like, anytime I'd go, I would, like, take a spoonful and, like, literally chew slowly and softly <laughs> as much as I could because I was so scared. I was like, if I ever got a rock, I made sure to catch it before to, pr like, to protect my teeth because I was just so scared of getting a tooth chipped. Because I was like, I don't want to deal with that. And so I remember one time, I think I did bit in, like, bit into a bite of rice and there was a rock. And I was like, oh, my God, my teeth. Oh, no. Uh, luckily, again, I had been chewing softly, so it didn't do anything. But, yeah, it was scarring. Like, you had to, like, prepare to eat to make sure that you weren't going to destroy your mouth if it wasn't from a source that you knew you could trust. <laughs> <laughs> So it's funny that you mentioned that because when my family came to visit, we were actually, we were as, we were bruising to go to my site. And so we stopped on the side of the road to have dinner and I just ordered three dishes for them and obviously had rice and some beans. In Madagascar, people really don't add salt or any flavoring to the rice. It's just plain rice with made with boiling water and that's about it. So how we make rice here in Colombia, you add some salt, some onion, some garlic maybe, some oil. So it has some flavor. So my sisters were eating and they look at me weird and they're like, Carol, something is wrong with our meal. I was like, wait, what happened? And they're like, this rice has no taste. Like, it's completely tasteless. I was like, yeah, because that's how we eat rice. And they're like, they're in their minds, they're like, what? There is no flavor to the rice. And until this day, they always joke about uh, how rice is made in, the, in Madagascar. It was, it's really funny because those are the things that you just got used to so because it was just daily life, and they when they came to visit, they, they just pointed out so many things that to me, they just became part of my life. So it was really funny, yeah. Yeah, because you use the side dish to flavor the rice. So there's no point in putting <laughs> flavor in rice because your side dish is there. <laughs> but I do recall the first time eating, I was confused too, where I was like, where's the butter? Where's the salt? Like, what about onion? Like, I was just so confused yeah. and then realized, like, oh, this is just how they do it. Okay. <laughs> so for this question, how did Peace Corps help you professionally? Unfortunately, I'm unemployed because the, the job market here in Colombia is extremely difficult, especially now with the pandemic. I do have to say Peace Corps helped me grow as a person and as a professional in ways that I never, ever expected. Like I mentioned before, um, I did go to Madagascar having my master's in public health. But one thing is to learn things from, you know, like a book and a, and a classroom setting and a teacher. And a whole different thing is to actually get to apply and sharpen those skills in ways that I never thought I would. 
and not even having an office job in in an NGO, I think, will prepare you for that. Just from like public speaking to community assessment to networking to I don't know so many so many skills I could have a long list, but I can honestly say that joining the Peace Corps was the best decision. Not only because it added um, a spice to my life, it added challenges, but also because it elevated all those skills that I knew I had, but I hadn't had the chance to put in practice. And either it sharpened those skills or catapulted a lot of things that I had used before, but not to that extreme. It also helped me. I think this is one of the most important realizations is that being there really opened my eye to a lot of issues that are currently happening in my own country. Because I didn't live in Colombia for a long time. And when I was living here, I was a student. So I, I live like in a bubble, you know, like nothing happens. Everything's perfect. Because of that experience, I'm much more aware of the situation in my country. And that has inspired me to start my own project as well. So because I did work with my girls and I did realize that youth development is what I want to do, I'm hoping that um, very soon I can start my own social project because uh, our quarantine is very, very strict right now here in Colombia because of the pandemic. So there is no traveling either by car or by plane. All the airports are closed. So the town where I want to start my pilot project is a little bit far away from the capital city. So I do have to fly. So unfortunately, I'm not able to do that right now. But I don't think I would have had the guts and the inspiration to take on this project if it hadn't done if I hadn't done Peace Corps. And also last year I worked for this NGO called Amigos de las Americas in Panama. And basically that job was to be every single person from a Peace Corps staff office in just one person. So I was like pretty much the program manager, I was a supervisor. Uh my my title was project director, so I was in charge of like programming, budgeting, logistics, uh, taking care of the supervisors that were going to be on the field, the safety and security of the participants and their health, their emotional and physical health. So it was a lot of hats that I had to juggle. And I don't think I would have been as successful as I was if I hadn't had that experience with Peace Corps. So it definitely had added a whole new uh, level of professionalism, mainly an eye-opening of so many things. Life in the States is just so widely different that you don't think about all these things until you see them right there in front of you. But I have that, a much stronger sense of community. And even if you only have one person, is one person that is going to have probably a better life of because of whatever program that you're trying to implement. So yeah, I think it did, it did help me in so many different ways that I never expected. Yeah, so for the last question, uh, we're going to ask about your personal life a little bit. So I know you gave us some hints here and there throughout this interview about a boyfriend uh, that was a host national. So I kind of wanted to ask, what was your dating experience like? Oh, I'm going to get all emotional about this. Before joining the Peace Corps, I wasn't really seeing anywhere in the States. So going to Madagascar, I wasn't either opposed or looking for a boyfriend. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't like, oh my God, I'm going to get me a Peace Corps volunteer boyfriend or I'm going to find me a Malagasy person. That was never in my mind. Neither was the idea of like, oh my God, if somebody approaches me, I'm completely against the idea. You know, I was like, whatever. So this person came to life, came to my life 
completely unexpectedly. It's a long story, but I'm going to try to make it short. I was outside and already by that time. So I met him in September uh, and I had got, gotten to site about like, I don't know, maybe April. <laughs> so it was only a few months after I had been outside. And he was friends with my best friend, but he was from my uh, bank in my uh, town, which is Mananjari. So that's about like in public transportation, that's roughly two hours, three hours at tops. Um, so he was in Kenjavatu visiting some relatives. He's gonna, he was going to be there for a few weeks. I don't know exactly. Anyways, I was, uh, it was on a Sunday and market day. I was with my friend Heather who had come to visit from her site. And we were just strolling up the street, uh, like strolling the street up and down. And I actually, at that time, half of my hair was shaved. So I had this, because I have too much hair. So I decided to change my look to be a little bit more cooler because I knew I was going to go to a very hot area. And that's not something that you will see uh, in a rural area in Madagascar. No, I will say in our show notes, we're going to have pictures of this. She also did some designs, so she'll definitely be showcasing those. <laughs> and um, so anyways, you know, I was like the Vasa with half of her, her head shaved uh, along with my friend who is full of tattoos. So with them, we were like very easily spotted. And apparently he saw me and he confabulated with my best friend, Arvin. She invited me to this hike, to this waterfall that was uh, very close to my house. So I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. She she just came out to my house. She's like, oh, let's go to the hike, to the fall. I was like, okay. So as we going up to the fall, I see this guy on top of the fall. And I was like, who was that? Like, I think I had seen him before, but I didn't know who that was per se. And so I get to the top and he's there and he's starting talking to me. And I was like, oh my God, what is happening? And at that time, like my Malagasy was getting a little bit better, but not to the point that I really understood what he was saying because he was close to my side, but his dialect was not extremely different, but different enough that I couldn't really understand what he was saying. And he was speaking really fast. And I was like, what is happening? I don't understand. And then Armin was trying to explain to me, like, translating Malagasy to Malagasy, but <laughs> Malagasy that I couldn't understand. <laughs> and I was like, what? Uh, now that I look back, I think he he was a, a tiny bit of a stalker. What do you mean, tiny bit? I feel like all Malagasy men are like, we're going to stalk <laughs> you until you say yes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's the motto, yes. Anyways, long story short, uh, because he was there for vacation, and he was so insistent, I was like, okay, let's hang out. Like, what is the worst, what's the worst that can that could happen? And I, I thought, okay, we just hang out, whatever, something happens. Maybe it's just a flame, you know, it's something that is going to be just while he's here. I never expected it to be like a long relationship. Little that I know, I was going to spend the rest of my service with him. Um, he became my best friend. Uh, he became my counterpart, my Malagasy teacher. Um, sometimes he would even cook meals for me when I was working too hard. And he had, you know, he was just home chilling. His family became my family. He became such an important part of my service. It was so hard to say bye to him. And to all the romantics out there, they might be thinking, oh, why didn't you marry him? Or like, why are you not with him? Uh, I'm not going to get into that because I think it's too personal, but it just, it, it was, it was too hard to make the decision. 
and I did, I did have to break out with him, and it was probably one of the hardest things that I've ever done, had to do in my entire life, was to say goodbye to him. It definitely hurt, broke my heart. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you, as we were doing our closing of service trip, you're like, I can't look at my phone. Like, he better not contact me because I'm going to just lose it. And I think that also just made it harder for you to, lo- to like, leave your site at that moment because when you left your site, you also told him you wanted to say goodbye to him. And so I do recall just how, like, hard it was for you just... I was very thankful to your like family that you met in the Capitol when you did leave your site and went to go hang out with them because at least you had some support there to kind of like give you some like happiness in a different perspective besides like I'm leaving something so close to my heart. I was very thankful that you kind of had that reprieve a little bit before we did leave for our COS trip because on a selfish note, I was like, oh no, like I, you better not cry the whole trip, Carol. <laughs> Which, I mean, other events happened throughout that COS trip, which caused even more turmoil for you. But I guess on a different episode, we can kind of go over our COS trip, which is closing of service trip, and kind of go into details about how fun and amazing it was. And also, like, some of the, like, bizarre moments that we encountered. (laughs) So with that, I want to say thank you to our listeners for listening. We really appreciate that you're here to, like, experience our own tales with us. We are super excited about this podcast and starting it. And from the episodes that we've recorded so far, it's actually a lot of fun to just hear other people's tale and just kind of see their little moments or just how much they actually have to dig in their memories if it has (laughs) been a while for them and just how much fun it kind of is for them to retell and relive it in a sense. So we do have some fun memories and different things for you to hear throughout the tales that we'll show you through our podcast journey. And I hope it's what you want and that you have a great time. If you are interested in being an RPCV interviewee that we have on our podcast, you can reach us at peacecoretales at gmail.com. That is peacecoretales at gmail.com. And we are more than willing to take interviewees. We want all kinds of different stories, the good and the bad. Like, me and Carol had pretty good services. I mean, there were some moments where I was just, you know, those shake-your-head moments where you're like, my God, like, what is happening? (laughs) But most of them were good for her and I. And we did extend a third year. So, I mean, that does show how well we probably had. But if you are interested, even if you had, like, not the best of service, we do want to hear your tale. So please reach out and thank you so much for listening. Well, thank you, Selena, for coming out with this idea. She actually wanted to do a YouTube channel for this. And I was like, I'm not going to be on a, on a video. But podcasting was like, okay, sounded appealing. Uh, this is a, the beginning of a new journey. And thank you for, like, I don't know, inviting me to be your partner in crime and be my bestie since ever since we met in Madagascar. And yeah, thank you to all the listeners. And uh, I don't know, I, I encourage you to invite people to listen to us and like share our story, with, like our podcast with as many people as you think would be interested to listen to our tales. And so, yeah, that's it from me. And remember that Peace Corps will be the toughest job you'll ever love. Velume, goodbye. Velume, Abby.